Welcome to the Conversation Podcast with QSource. Today, QSource QI advisor Kathy Ray has a lengthy discussion with Tina Hoffman from Franciscan Health about the rates of suicide in Indiana, how to find help for yourself and your loved ones, and how local communities can be proactive helping individuals address suicide. This podcast addresses the rates of suicide in nursing homes, amongst our elderly population, our veterans, and with Indiana residents in general. This podcast is part one of two. Okay, well, QSource wants to welcome Tina as our subject matter expert today as we dive into the conversation around some heavy material, right? We're going to talk today about some suicide rates um, in Indiana. We're going to talk about strategies for community members to take action. And then you're going to teach us, Tina, I think some skills possibly on how to ask how to have those hard, critical conversations with folks that are in distress in our community coalitions across Indiana. And Tina, I know your background brings forth a lot of expertise. Um, You've been in trainings for how long? You've been teaching for years, right? Yeah, um, over 10 years now, I've been in some form of teaching mental health and suicide prevention curriculum. Yes, and as I was doing some research this morning, It was nice to read that Indiana has had a slight decline. If we go back in time from 21 to 22, I did um, account for some Indiana Department of Health statistics that were very interesting. And I know that you're on the prevention side. And so today's conversation is really going to be around what's happening currently and some of prevention strategies that we can that we can focus on. So I will turn it over to you, and uh, we'll have a conversation and, and get this get this started. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for QSource hosting us. The one thing that I always like to talk with when we start this is that if someone is listening to us and they're hurting and they're worried about themselves or they're worried about someone else, please, please take a minute and call 988. 988 can be if you are in crisis or if you're having thoughts of suicide, Or if you're worried about someone, please take a moment. It does not mean that you will automatically be sent to a hospital. It doesn't mean that the police will come to your house. It means that there's somebody on that phone for you, just you, to have conversation, whether you're worried about yourself or worried about someone. They will help guide you through a conversation. And they're open 24-7. We have four magnificent offices here in the state of Indiana for our Hoosiers to help. If you are upset, if you feel like you need this, please reach out to our 988 centers. You can also go online. Um, If you're someone that maybe doesn't want to talk, but you are comfortable texting with someone on a computer or your phone, you can also text 988. So I always like to start with our resources of that because this can be very difficult for some people. Um, I also like to talk about that suicide prevention at the core is giving hope. Mm -hmm. This is hard, but we also talk about a way where we could be giving hope to people. And maybe that makes it a little bit more um, palatable for some. That it's not as difficult and overwhelming if at the core we just focus on how we're giving hope. Mm -hmm. Very good. Love that. When I dove into some of the strategies that you and I have talked about in the past, 988 is a huge resource Indiana has implemented. I know you'll talk about that more later, but good point. Thank you for that. 
Absolutely. Let's get started. Let's talk about why we're here. The numbers are not great still. Kathy, you you were talking about we do have a little decline and I will take all the power for that because I feel like I'm out there pounding the pavement trying to get people encouraged to have difficult conversations and they are difficult. They're emotional and they're hard, but they're manageable with just a few tips and there's some great classes whether it's with me or with someone in your own community across the country, you can find someone that is hosting a suicide prevention class. I noticed in 2022, we talk about specific age groups and at Sources, as you know, focused on Medicare beneficiaries and the 65 and older population. And I did notice that the rates for unintentional deaths in their age range of 65 to 74 was at 108 deaths, which is at 15.72%, which is a slight decline. But when we talk about specifically the rates of suicide in, in ages of 65 and 74, basically I found the research to indicate that was in mainly white males at 27.54%, which is an increase. We often wonder if COVID had precipitated some of those we know social isolation had precipitated some of those, but I know that there's a portion of that that are, are veterans, and you do service and educate the veterans uh, in our communities as well. But that was just some recent data that I had found on the Indiana Department of Health website. Go ahead and share what you have. Absolutely. And I um, definitely, we can talk about veteran suicide, um, how it is um, increasing, I always want to highlight it's not just male veterans, female veterans, suicide attempts are on the rise more than even male attempts. But to go back to what you're talking about with your numbers for age groups, in the state of Indiana, according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, our Indiana chapter, that it's the 18th leading cause of death for age 65 and older. And it is the 11th leading cause of death for ages 55 to 64. Okay. Um, so this is definitely hitting our population a little bit harder for our, our, our older people. I think part of it is, as you were talking about, Kathy, the social isolation. But I think that's also, it's a time where you're retiring, right? It's a change in your life. And, and humans are not change masters. You're in a time where maybe you have empty house syndrome. And so our kids are gone to college or maybe they're in their first jobs or married and moved away. I'm, a, I'm an only child, right? And so my mama lives in Arkansas. And so imagine her, her transition when I'm married and moved away. So you think about that age group where we have kids marrying or going to college, so your empty house. You may be leaving your job where you knew who you were. You had your title. You had a different purpose. Your financial security changes at that age, right? Mm -hmm. Think about if you are starting to retire and we worry if we don't have enough money to retire, if we haven't saved, if Social Security isn't going to be there. At that age group, we're also more prevalent for health conditions. And so think about um, the health conditions, the symptoms and the signs were creeping up on us in our 40s and 50s, but they come to a real head for 
many thousands of people in their 60s, it's not cheap to be sick anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the cost that is associated with that, and on top of it, just the entire transition of life is very difficult for some people at that age. And so I don't think we value or put enough value in how difficult it is to transition in that stage period in your 60s. Wow, those are great points. Those are great points. Thank you. I've been really thinking about this and working on it, but um, we talk about change masters. Mm -hmm. and so it's more what can we be doing and preparing or how are we talking with our families if we're worried about things that are happening, if a medical diagnosis is coming or has come to our house, to our front doors, how are we talking to our loved one about it? is important mm -hmm. that there is still hope even when there's fear mm -hmm. and looking for those resources. One of the things I also like to highlight is our men that are dying in their 60s by suicide die at a higher rate because of the means that they choose, which is typically firearms. This is not a conversation about being against firearms. This is a conversation about firearms safety when someone's in crisis. And so if you believe you have a loved one in crisis and you have easily accessible firearms, the public absolutely needs to be looking in gun locks, whether they're cable locks that go through the handle. You can find a gun box, which is an actual gun box lock. It can be coded. It can be fingerprinted. If you just simply need to take your firearm apart, have the ammo away from the firearm, pull the pin out, make it as challenging as possible for someone in a time of crisis to get to a, a lethal means. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to remember when we talk about when you bring up the uh, chronic health conditions and how dementia starts to play a role in our cognitive abilities and the family may think that mom and dad are still okay but day-to-day -day memory loss poor safety skills like you mentioned irritability anxiety behavior start to fester and keeping a firearm in the house if they were an active let's say they were an active firearm user because of their hobbies or whatever that looks like starting to look at like you said, safety in the home and getting those things out of reach and understanding that their ability to reason and use safety may not be the same as what they had prior. I'm going to hit on our veteran population in this age group as well, because we have a lot of veterans in this age group that are aging and are fighting some invisible battles we haven't seen. I talk to a lot of nurses in hospice care that are helping support our veterans through their medical struggles. And a lot of them have access to weapons and maybe fighting something like starting of dementia or Alzheimer's and also having this invisible PTSD. Mm -hmm. And so having this access to weapons and firearms and making sure we're keeping them safe, even when it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And this might be a family conversation. It's very hard when it's you and your loved one 
but maybe it needs to be a family conversation of, okay, we can allow two firearms to stay in the home in a safe manner, but maybe the rest need to leave the house. And I also like to talk about the fact that I know we are focusing on our uh, Medicare populations, but our Medicare populations are also second and third generational parenting. And so I need firearms to be locked up away from our kids going through mental health crisis as well. In Marion County alone here in Indiana, we have seen such an uptick in use of violence of unintentional death by firearms. And so there's a multitude of reasons for this firearm safety. That's a very good point. We do have a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren these days. I haven't really talked much about death in females. The means of death in females age 50 and above are typically not with firearm. They are typically in a less lethal means such as medication. Let's talk about medication safety. Even if your person's not in mental health crisis, medication safety should always be important in your home. And are you talking to your pharmacist about maybe the pill packs? Are you talking about the pill boxes where we are limiting how many medications that need to be taken in a combination if they're opioids, if they are medicines to help you relax and sleep at night? Are we making sure that the means are only in that moment and not having accessibility to the full bottles? Mm-hmm. We're not trying to babysit people. We're not trying to diminish their value into their life. It's more that sometimes we as maybe caregivers or children or just loved ones have to take an extra step in the moment when there's impaired problem solving that may be happening. Because at the core, when someone is thinking about ending their life, right, which is suicide, suicide is impaired problem solving. We have to work a little bit harder to help minimize what can be accessed in time of crisis. Very good. So medication management, medication safety is always important. Well, we just focused and came up with a resource on medication management here at QSource, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's been identified in many areas of of safety across our community coalitions. When I had a meeting with the faith community nurses, you know, it was identified that they're doing a majority of their education around medication safety. They walk into the home and they find uh, mom and dad are using the same pillbox or they qualify for medications through the mail, which are great. However, when the order changes and the doctor decides to discontinue that depression pill or the anxiety pill or the pain pill, getting that mail to stop, getting that script to that process is not easy, put it that way. So Faith Community Nurses brought in a whole nother piece to mental health, and medication management. They're walking into some dangerous situations in the homes. Do you utilize or do you partner with the faith community nurses? Absolutely. Our faith community nurses are a trusted resource. A lot of times I, I work in the hospital or I work in a building associated with the hospital and that has a bad rap for some people. So even though I feel like I would be a great resource, 
I don't know that person and they don't know me. We haven't built that trusted relationship, but people trust people in their church. Their faith community nurses talk to them. They know their families. They know children and grandchildren. They've probably grown up with them together. And there were also that resource, right, that we used to call and go, oh, little Bobby is running a temperature tonight and his brother had it. And so now we, maybe they're aging parents, the little Bobby's calling going, mom is really sick or I'm really worried. Can you come visit Miss Jan? Mm -hmm. And so Miss Jan may come over and visit as a faith community nurse. So she has the medical background and she has the connection and the relationship and it's a trusted source to guide them to whatever care that is needed to be. One of the things, initiatives we've been working for in Franciscan Health is working in doing uh, mental health trainings for faith community nurses because we want to give them every tool that is possible. They are on the spot ready when it's time to do blood pressures or have to intervene in a medical crisis. But a lot of times our medical people don't get a lot of trainings in mental health crisis or maybe a different way to have a conversation. And so our group of faith community nurses have been amazing and open to taking these trainings just to have another aspect of maybe a different way to approach talking to someone in this conversation. You hit it right on the head as far as approach. What do you recommend to your faith community nurses when they walk into a situation that you know, could be volatile or could be one of desperation. Do you have particular strategies that you teach for the community when they walk into something like that, or if we come across that in the in the community? Absolutely. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your job or your state. If you are about to walk into a house where you are unsafe or someone is in immediate danger, you will always need to call 911. This is not where you walk in the house and try to talk a gun out of someone's hand like the movies. We will always call 911 for extra help. You can text 911. You can call 911. You can have a friend giving all the details. I have had to call 911 and I have told them this is a military veteran. There's post deployments, there's stress, there's a family around. And so giving everyone details. So always please keep yourself safe first and foremost. But if you're willing to talk to someone that you know is having a mental health crisis, the first thing I always recommend is just stay calm. Mm -hmm. You would stay calm if they were having a heart attack. You would be reactive and a nurse would be reactive. Our first responders are reactive. So it's the same. We just have to be calm because this is about their situation and not how we feel about their situation. Empathy goes a long ways. Understanding that whatever has put them at their point of having a mental health crisis is valuable because it's still their mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Some of us can pour and pour and take on all this trauma and all these events and keep walking. And some people can't. And that's okay. We just need to have empathy for the people that may be or wherever they are in their life. Mm -hmm. The first thing I always recommend is how are you asking the question about suicide when you notice that maybe there's changes in behavior, if they're not sleeping, if they are trying to um, collect more painkillers or sleeping pills or a collection together, 
if the firearms are more noticeable around and easily accessible now, things that maybe make you go, hmm, and your spider senses start to tingle. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you need to ask, hey, I have noticed this has happened and I'm worried this is happening. I want to ask you something difficult. I want to know, have you been thinking about suicide? Mm-hmm. And it sounds simple. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. I do it now and it's still very difficult. But we need to know if someone's having a bad day or we need to know if someone's thinking about death. Mm-hmm. Having a bad day is me going to the Dairy Queen for a blizzard. Somebody thinking about death means I'm probably going to have a very difficult conversation with them. That doesn't mean someone automatically goes to the emergency room. That just means we're going to sit down. There's going to be some tears shed. There's going to be some thoughts. And we're going to have a difficult conversation. But asking about suicide clearly so we both have understood we are talking about life or death. And have you heard the myth that... I don't want to ask because I'm going to, I'm planting the seed that they're going to follow through with that. And technically that's not right, right? Right. So the stigma uh, around saying, oh, if I ask them about it, they're going to start thinking about it. People are either thinking about suicide or they're not. They're not going to go, that's a great idea. I use a very outlandish example when I'm in classes. I have yet to ever have somebody say, you know what, would you like to start doing cocaine today? And people be like, that's a great idea. (laughs) No one's going to be like, I had thought about suicide, but now that you have put it there, I should think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to ask about suicide because we need to both agree that we are talking about someone's life. Mm -hmm. And Uh, how you also talk about suicide matters. We're not going to degrade them and say it's stupid or it's bad choices because in the end, we want to show them support, not support for the act of suicide, but that they're having support because if you get shut down from someone saying, oh, you're just doing something stupid thinking about that, they're not going to want to continue this conversation. We're not going to focus on the act of suicide. We're going to focus on the act of their story because their story is what matters. Uh Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you or someone you know struggles with suicide, please contact 988 for assistance. For additional information, please visit the QSource website at www.qsource.org.